pastor here, and sometimes they let me preach. That's all I can say is that, uh, anyway, I haven't preached for a few uh, Sundays as we've uh, tried to model our series in design, and now I have the privilege of uh, sharing with you God's Word as we uh, wrap up this series, and be, we'll be getting a new one next uh, Lord's Day, Lord willing, and the book of Ephesians as we'll, we'll see how God uh, actually worked out the design series in a local church, the book of Ephesians. It's, it's a book that's filled with principles about what it means to not only go to church, but to be the church and live out what God has for us as a people. Uh, but as we look at God's Word this morning, um, as I was preparing uh, this week, I, I came across a story, a true story, about um, what happened after World War II. And I want to begin this morning uh, with this account. After World War II, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by German bombs. As work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue of Jesus, and they were wondering what to do with it uh, as far as restoration. And as they looked at this large statue, they recognized that this was a statue of Jesus in which the arms were outstretched. But in Restoring it, they recognized, particularly about the statue with arms outstretched, that the, the arms that were outstretched were absent, there was something absent from it, and that were the hands. And so there were no hands on the statue. But under the, 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 uh, the statue of Jesus, initially were these words of inscription, uh, Come unto me. And if you're familiar with that passage in Matthew where it says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But as they were wrestling with that, they didn't think they could do a particularly good job of restoring or, or putting hands back on. So they decided together to restore the statue, but leaving the hands off. But they did change the inscription, and they put these words to it. Christ has no hands but ours. And that's a great picture of what this design series is all about is that as we think about following Jesus, as we think about not only going to church, but being the church, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. God is capable of doing anything he wants at any time to anybody, but he has chosen to use human vessels to be using his people, his church, to be those who speak for him, those to walk to places where which need to be found, uh, to handle and touch those who need encouragement, to have listening ears to people who need to hear their story. And, and really what it is, it's, it's a commissioning, this design series, commissioning of all of us to recognize that we're all committed to being servants of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, we have an insert in your bulletin this morning about the Stevens ministers, and they've gone through an extensive training uh, program over the last number of months, and we're going to commission them in a specific way in a couple weeks. But each one of us, whatever title we have or don't have, if we're a follower of Christ, we are, we are to be like Jesus. And we just heard that sung. And, and to, to be like Jesus, we need to recognize that the heart of who Jesus is, is that Jesus came not to be served, but to, to serve. And, and so Christianity is, is, a, is a statement about service. We, we can't say that that we love Jesus unless we're willing to labor for Jesus. We can't say that we are surrendered to Jesus unless we're willing to serve Jesus. And, and serving is, is touching people that he wants us to connect with. 
Well, this morning what I want to do in, in wrapping up this series is, is to do a review, but really to put it in three different ways. One, one is to, to look at our purpose as a church, and you've heard that many times. And if you're here for the first time, you'll, you'll get to hear it for the first time. But to make sure we understand why we're here. Secondly is to, to look at our plan. How do we live out our purpose? What's our process? And then third, look back at our preaching series and, and how that is supposed to be helpful in being what God wants us to be. What is, it, what is the purpose of the church? And you can phrase it in a lot of different ways. Uh, the great commission and the great commandment and a great commitment to those two commissions and commandments. Or, or you can simply say this, is that we're called to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And, and as we think about that, that's, that's the call of God's people. That we are committed to the, the, the global glory of God. That we, we want people to see who God is and all His goodness and all His love and all of who He has allowed us to see in terms of His graciousness to a people He created and yet rebelled against Him. And, and when we live that out, we, we honor who He is. And, and we, we, we live a life of worship and we live a life that manifests the greatest one in this universe. And the greatest way that we can help people see God is to introduce them to God. And so that's why we honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. But it's one thing to say that. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's, that's Grace Hill's plan or process. And we've summarized in another acronym. We're kind of into acronyms, at least in this series. But the acronym of OWL. But we're going to extend that word. If one OWL is good, then... Two or three owls has got to be better, right? And so we're going we're to look at owls this morning. And, and owl really speaks about what we can all be involved in. Now, sometimes when you go to church, you're kind of impressed with what you can't do rather than what you can do. Maybe as you're listening to Megan uh, play the piano and sing, or as you think of Devin playing the organ. Well, I, I know that's what I can't do. I can check that off my list. But what, what can I do? Well, I can tell you something we can all do, and I can tell you something we can all do better than anybody else here. And that's being connected and concerned about our oikos, those people in our relational world. And God wants us to reach out to our relational world. I had an opportunity this week to, to meet a couple people, and they became kind of connected with me. And um, they're probably names none of you in this room know. But at that point, when I was connecting with them, I, I was a better evangelist than Billy Graham because I knew them and, and Billy didn't. And see, when you know people in your family, in your neighborhood, at school, uh, people you connect with, uh, then you are the greatest representative of, of Christ than anybody else on this planet. Because you know them, they know you, you can communicate to them in ways that are meaningful, and, and it all begins with being concerned about them. If you're not concerned about where they are spiritually, maybe no one will be. If you don't invite them or if you don't cause them to think about uh, who Jesus is or, or talk about spiritual things, maybe no one will be that avenue by which they're, they're challenged to think about Christ. So all of us need to be thinking about who is in my relational circle of friends or family or people I connect with or whom I meet that God wants me to be a servant by simply being, as John said, and as he quoted C.S. Lewis, to be a, to be a little Christ to them, to, to see the, to think what would what would Christ do to maybe enter into the conversation and draw it into relation into into thinking about that which is most important about who is God and do you know him 
or to simply demonstrate the love of Christ by attitude or actions. Every one of us is on mission to reach out to people that we know maybe better than anybody else. So that's our oikos. That's, that's how we honor God, by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ, where we, we pray for people we know, we care about them, we, we show love to them, we're, we're, we listen to them, we, we serve them in practical ways, and, and maybe that will prompt a, a conversation. It won't happen every time you're with them, but a, a lifelong investment in them. That's what it means to be committed to your oikos. The secondly is, is worship. Now, worship is a word we normally think about in, in settings like this. And often in terms of this service or the service that preceded this, we think of the, the primary time when we're worshiping God is when we're singing praises to him. And I would say in many ways, that's the most focused part of expressing worship to God or value to God or honor to God. But that's not all that it is. When we sing, we, we, we communicate through our lips and our heart uh, words of praise and honor and proclamation of who God is and sometimes who we are or what we're not. And it focuses our hearts and attention and minds upon him. But that's not all that worship is. Worship is any time we live lives that reflect positively upon who we believe in. When we do things like Jesus, that's an act of worship. When we do things, whatever we do, and the Bible says even the little things like eating or drinking, we can do all to the glory of God. And I'm thinking, how, how could that be? How can you eat or drink all of the glory of God? Well, one, if you had something to eat and somebody else didn't have anything to eat, you offer to share. Or when, when, you're, when you're at a home and you're participating in a meal, you're thankful for what you have. Now, how many of you have ever had your kids kind of say, are we having this again? <laughs> oh, man, who likes this? What is this, some other blood sacrifice? You cre- no, whatever it might be, is that when we're grateful and when we are thankful, whatever we might do, we can reflect on, on a positive way to God. But what I want to say, we ought to live lives of worship and honoring God, not only at church, we all expect that to happen here, but we ought to do it at home and at work. And when I say work, that, that could be your retirement years. That could be in the place where God has placed you in, where you have opportunities to to meet people on the battlefield of the of the the table of bridge, or you have the opportunity to to visit down at the clubhouse and talk with people over a cup of coffee, or you have opportunity to go to the pool and swim, or or whatever it might be, it's that place where you where you live, you live out. And again, whether it's at school or at the marketplace or in the neighborhood, you're going to encounter people, and and God wants you to live a life that honors Him, that that shows that you know Him. One of the things that marks me about the disciples after Jesus took off and they began to look at the disciples of Jesus and the only thing they could say about him was, well, they're not very well educated. They're not very well trained, but there's something distinct about them. They have been with who? Jesus. And see, that's what we want people to say to us. Not only at church, we all kind of look pretty nice at church and act pretty nice at church, but how about at home? And home is not just if you have a, a ton of people at home. Uh, if you got somebody else you're living with, that's your home. And are, how are you acting and responding to them? Is, is it like Jesus? And, and the same thing at work. Are we honoring God there? It, it's interesting how, how, uh, how sometimes you know people treat you. you know, I, I'm a lot, you ever notice that sometimes you're a lot more polite with strangers than you are people you, you live with? Anybody that way? 
you would never say some of the things you would say to a stranger, but you'll say it to somebody, you know, that you know really well, and, you know, because and, and you, you think that maybe think, you just think they need to hear what you've got to say at that moment, or, or maybe uh, you're just, your guard's down, you think, well, they'll love me no matter what I do or whatever I say. It's amazing how things like that happen. I was just thinking over this last series as, as people have been preaching up here, and I, I was thinking about Brandon, you know. You know, I know Brandon really well, lived in my home for a while, and then he comes up here and he says that I'm an old, crusty foot. I'm thinking, what is that? You wouldn't say about that to a stranger. And then, then last week I was, I was listening and somebody came up here who was my son, and he, and he said, well, you know, he's, he's, um, he kind of speaks too fast. Now, do you guys ever think I speak too fast? No, don't say that. All right. Anyway. And, and then he proceeds, says, you know, sometimes his eyes water too much when he, you know, he, I never cry up here. Do I ever cry up here? Uh, well, okay, this one can't be true. He, he goes up here and he says that I am, I'm the king of prodding, that, that sometimes I can be pushy. Now, can you ever imagine me being pushy? Boy, none of you seem to disagree with anybody. All right. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've, I've decided that I'd fire Brandon and disown Mark. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We've got to live out our faith at... You know, not just in times where we, we're really at attention and, and people you know, see the best of us. You know, it's amazing how, you know, people who, who date, you know, they see the best of each other when they're dating and then they get married and they see the rest of them, you know. And all of a sudden you need to live that life of attraction and love and infatuation, you know, day in and day out. And God wants us to live a life of worship, not only at church, but at home and at work, and we progressively want to do things at Grace Hills Church that, that help you do that. We want to be a church that honors God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. It begins with us being concerned about our relational world, our oikos, and then living a life of worship, which means I want to honor God in my attitude and my actions, not only in a place like this, but at home and at work. And then thirdly, we need to realize that for that to happen, we need to be energized all the time. And so we emphasize life groups because you can't do life alone very well. Now, they're gonna, I guess they're doing a remake of The Lone Ranger. Have you seen those highlights of that? You know, The Lone Ranger even had who? Tonto. And he probably wouldn't have been very good without Tonto, would he? And we're not very good left alone. And that's true in so many different ways. We have a, a new family in our church that comes normally to the first service. And um, uh, the wife's name is Noel and the husband's name is Ryan. But Noel does one of those uh, physical boot camps. You ever read about that where people get up really early in the morning and they exercise? What crazy people do that, right? But, you know, I, I went and watched her one time. I actually participated in the workout one time. And, it's, you know, she had 15 or 20 people there. And, and for the whole hour, she's prodding and pushing. And, and they're working out so much harder because they're doing it in community. And if that's true physically, and if you've ever trained for any sport, you, you're so much better when you have someone with you that's urging you on and, and thinking you can do one more rep or, or one more lap or whatever it might be. If you've ever been on a diet, it's so much easier uh, and harder, but easier to be successful if you're going on watching your, whatever you're eating, if someone is watching what you eat or whatever it might be. Or, or even just in a, a mental perspective, some people get in book clubs, not that they can't read a book on their own, but they know if they're in a book club, they've got to read the, the book because they don't want to have to come to the meeting and say, I didn't read the material. 
And so as we think about living out our purpose, the plan is to have an oikos. The plan is to have a life of worship. The plan is to get in a life group so you do life together. But what we want to do in adding to our, our plan is la- add the letter S. And I guess you could probably figure out what the word S stands for. It stands for serving. That, that we are to live out our faith. And so we, we need to be people who serve. In your outline this morning, as we think about what that means, it means simply that we live out God's design for us. We, we grow in Christ and community, but we live out God's design. Now, in this series, what we did is we said, well, but how, how do we do that? How do we know what God wants us to do? You know, I'm volunteering, but what's the job description? Well, that's where we use that acronym to kind of emphasize how you can discover what God would might have you to do. And that's why we put together that little booklet. Hopefully you all got that kind of a light blue color to, to show you some things that our church is doing and how you could get involved in that way. And there's always an other. If you want to try something new and fresh, do that as well. But h- how do we know what God wants us to do? Well, it be, and just going through that acronym. The letter D stands for desires. What is it that excites you? What is it that motivates you? It's all right to to be involved in a ministry that you like to do. Uh, Secondly, the E stands for experiences. God never wastes an experience. If you've gone through something, you can help somebody else go through something. And that's in so many different ways. I was talking to one of our young men uh, after after church, and, and, um, and, and there was something he had gone through, and I said, why don't you go talk to this person? Uh, because they'd gone through the same thing. In fact, it was a, it was a new person that uh, had been involved in the fire department. And so I got one of our firemen to come over and say, why don't you talk about your experience in the fire uh, department? Because they had like experiences that they could connect. Uh, the letter S stands for spiritual gifts. God enables us to serve him, to impact people in a way that will encourage them spiritually. And, and, and we need to recognize that each one of us has received a gift. And Warren did a great job sharing that in, in that part of the series. And then uh, the letter I stands for individual personality. All of us are wired slightly differently, if not majorly differently. And that's good. I, I was giving Brandon a bad time in the, in the first service because he always gives me a bad time when he preaches. And I said, wouldn't, wouldn't this life be... And this world would be crazy if everyone was like Brandon. <laughs> I mean, he just kind of bounces off the walls all the time. But he's great to have a little, but not a lot, right? Is, is all of us are different, and we're all special. And God wants to use each one of us in ways that will impact people's lives. So however you are uh, wired, however you're, you see yourself personally, God wants to use that. And if you are a little bit more quiet and you'll be much more of a listening ear to people who who need to hear things about uh, what's going on or they, they need to be simply listened to where some people can't uh, stop talking and and you because of your temperament will allow people to share their story with you and then finally um, um, the last two g for growth and in natural abilities if we're not growing in our faith we won't keep serving in our faith if, if we if we run out of uh, spiritual fuel, then we'll we'll screech to a, a stop in terms of us living for God and natural abilities. Uh, another young man I was talking to this week, uh, actually uh, after the second service, after the first service, was he likes to mountain bike, and we have a, a new person in our church that likes to mountain bike, and I just connected the two, and I said, oh, why don't you guys go on Saturday and, and go mountain biking together? Uh, it, it, there are vehicles, our abilities are vehicles by which we can connect or relate to other people. Now, that's all of a backdrop. That's our purpose and our plan, our process. 
But, but let's look at it biblically again, this whole preaching series on design. And what I want to do is I want to take you to one section in the time we have left, uh, Romans chapter 12, and, and see how that's played out. Uh, Warren used a little bit on his spiritual gifts. But I want you to see how this has always been a passion of God for us to know that we are uniquely a design of His and how these things can be used in ways that we can determine what God wants us not only be but to do. And again, I want to urge you to, to take, your, take your strengths and use them. God wants us sometimes to serve out of our comfort zone, but he wants us to use our strengths in ways that can um, honor him. I came across a story the other, other day that kind of talks about sometimes minimizing our strengths, and it, and it can get us and others into trouble. Uh, listen to this and see if you can connect the dots. Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of this new world. Do we have any problems in this world? Okay. Yeah, how are we going to meet that? We, you know, the church is there to be a light in the midst of a world filled with darkness. How, how can we make that happen? Well, the animal world saw, saw it too. And if you're familiar with the, the book of Romans, in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says the, the, the creation groans until everything is made new. Well, they decided, the animal world decided that they'd help out. So they organized a school. And they adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to, to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. The duck was excellent in swimming. In fact, better than the instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying. And was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his, caused his web feet to be badly worn. So that he became only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable. So nobody worried about that except for the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles or neck muscles because of so much makeup work and swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because the teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from treetop down. He developed charley horses from overexertion and so only got a C in climbing and a D in running. Now, Eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisted on using his own way to get there. You get the point? If you try to make a duck an eagle, an eagle a rabbit, and a rabbit a, um, a squirrel, you're going to mess up all that God has put together in their unique design that God has made them. And so God wants us to take an honest look at ourselves and say, God, what is it that you have put together in making me me? And how can you use that? And so often what we do is we focus on what we can't do or even what we used to do. And we aren't open what God wants us to do now. And so, again, in that booklet, we put a variety of different things where people can be involved in ministry in a variety of different ways. And the issue is, is doing what you can do. To make a difference for God. Now I want you to see that that this whole design concept kind of, can kind of be illustrated in, in the first in this twelfth chapter of the book of, of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that, or you can just look on in the in the outline. Is I put the passages there out of the New King James Version. Uh, what, what, let's look at serving again from the design model. And I would say number point number one would be this: serving is motivated by a desire for God. And his goodness to be displayed. 
But nobody really does anything unless they have a desire to do it. If there isn't a want to, there isn't going to be any action. There isn't going to be any movement. And so what do you do when your desire is kind of low and you're, you're not that motivated? Well, Paul would put it this way. You need someone to urge something out of you. Why are you turning the paper? I haven't finished this point yet. They did that in the first service, too. Just because there isn't a whole lot beneath there, you can still listen. I, I urge you to stay on the front page. Okay, I, he goes this. He says, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. When we, when we don't have that want to, when we don't have that desire to do anything, then we've got to get back to the very basics. Now, we, we taught this part of the series where we said, as you think about what you might do, discover what you might like to do, what you might have a passion for, what you love doing. But you might be saying, I don't feel like doing anything. Have you ever been there? Man, you're so tired, tuckered. I see a hand there. I see a hand there. Okay. Uh, and, and you're just kind of like, I've had enough. And, and maybe you've been beat up so much during the week or you're just tired. or You've got more challenges that you're going through than, than you can handle. And what, what are you going to do? Well, then you've got to get back to that primary desire. That primary desire ought to be for God. He says this, I, I beseech you, I, I urge you, I beg of you. It's actually a word used of the Holy Spirit to come alongside someone and be there like their physical trainer and say, hey, get up and let's get going. And, and why? Because of the mercies of God. Now, let me give you an excuse for not doing anything for God. If you don't think God is good enough, he hasn't done enough for you, there isn't enough loving kindness in God, there isn't enough provision in God, then just don't do anything. But if you look at God and you're just overwhelmed with gratefulness when you remember all that he has done, then that ought to be enough for you to say, God, I'm volunteering here. Whatever I can do, not what I can't do. You know, I'm I'm a squirrel and I can't fly from the bottom of the tree without touching that tree. You know, I'm, I'm a rabbit and I don't swim that well. Whatever it might be. But what can I do? Why? Just because of the goodness of God. Uh, John Piper says that, that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. When we find our greatest joy in remembering all that God has done for us, and that's the motivation. It, it's not someone prodding someone or pushing someone, though we might have people who come alongside us to remind us of that. It's just remembering how much God has done for us. We, we ought to be so filled with God's goodness, we just start leaking out on people, doing whatever we can to serve them. So it begins with a desire. Secondly, you can now turn your page. It, it, it comes then from experiences. Experiences in terms that God wants you to be involved in in the lives of others. He goes on in Romans 12, 2 and says this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we taught the idea of experiences is what you've gone through, you can share with others, and that's true. But when you begin to share those experiences, when you get involved in serving, when you get involved in people's lives, there are a few things that are going to be characteristic of that. Uh, Number one, it's it's going to be sacrificial. I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, we know that God said a living sacrifice because he doesn't want a dead sacrifice because you only do that once. If you're going to be a martyr for the faith, you only use that gift once. But if God has left you here, he wants you in your life to live for him. And that is going to be a sacrifice. If, if time 
was permissible, we'd go to the book of Malachi, and there were times where, where people would bring sacrifices to God uh, before Jesus came to show their love for him. And sometimes people would bring sacrifices that weren't very sacrificial. They brought their lame animals, the animals that nobody wanted, that no one would want to eat at their table, and they just gave them the leftovers. And God said, look it, if you're going to give me a sacrifice that isn't the best of what you have, then just leave it at home. There are going to be times when we know we ought to serve, and quite frankly, we're going to say, but man, that's hard work. That's going to take some effort. I'm tired. Let somebody else do it. I've done my turn. Let somebody else get involved in this. And we're going to have to be sacrificial in our service to hang in there when we don't want to hang in there. So the experience of serving is going to be that which costs us at times. And usually what it costs is it costs us our time and our effort and our energy. But it's also, as he's not only presenting a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. See, when we stop and think, we ought to stop at times and emotionally connect with God, and that ought to motivate us because of all he's done for us. But it's also logical. This word reasonable comes from this word logikos, from which we get the word logic. He said, if you just stop and think, why wouldn't you want to, in your experience, do all that you can to serve God? Is there anything out there more reasonable, more logical than to demonstrate to a God who's done so much for us that we would want to do that for him. And, and then the other part, he says, I want you to present your bodies. Have you ever kind of uh, wonder why certain verses or phrases are in the Bible and you say, well, I wouldn't have written it that way. Anybody ever do that? I do that constantly. And this is one of those ones I look at. I go, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why didn't he say present your spirit or your soul or your heart as a living sacrifice? That sounds a little bit more spiritual, doesn't it? And the inward part of who you are, the real you. Well, that is actually implied throughout the first 11 chapters of the Bible. I mean, the book of Romans, where he pleads with them to give themselves fully to him in terms of sal- sal- uh, salvific or a salvation experience. But now he's at that section in the book of Romans where he's talking about service. And he's talking about doing that which you ought to do for God. Have you ever had someone say to you, I'm gonna, I can't make that or I can't do that, but I'll be with you in spirit? You ever hear that? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever said that. I probably said that. I can't be there, but I'll be with you in spirit. You know what that means? It means absolutely nothing. All right? Absolutely nothing. You know, if we have a work day here and we're digging in the dirt and you know, taking wheelbarrows and stuff everywhere and redoing, uh, you know, washing windows everywhere, whatever it might be. And, and you know, somebody can't make it and they say, uh, I, you know, I wish I could be there, but I, 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 I'll be with you in spirit. What can help are they? Nothing. Now, not everyone ought to be at a work day, but the people who can be at the work day and choose not to be at the work day and think they're here there because they're in spirit, they're, they're missing it. Because any ministry, you bring your body along with it. All right. You can't do ministry without your body there. Now, let me even say this about the, the ministry of prayer. That involves the body, doesn't it? Because there's all kinds of things in your body that will cause you not to want to pray. Even just keeping your mind alert or keeping things off that will distract you. Everything that you do involves your body until you get to heaven. And then you get a new body. And so 
as we think about ministry, as we think about serving, it begins with a desire. First of all, a desire for God, and then what do you like to do? Secondly, it involves an experience, experience sharing your experiences, but that experience is going to be sacrificial, it's going to be reasonable, logical, and it's going to be physical. Thirdly, serving is functioning with the use of your spiritual gifts. I'm out of time, but let me just run through this real quickly. For we have... Uh, for we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. See, God has given us spiritual gifts, which are enablements or abilities to function in the body of Christ and in the world around us to be a blessing to others, to, to care for them, to serve them, to do concrete things that demonstrate that God's love is alive and well in our hearts and in our lives to demonstrate that to others. And, and God wants us to use them in a way that will make a difference. Fourthly, serving is helped by assessing your individual personality. For I say through grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Most of the points, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing what I was going to share, but let me just spend a moment here. Often, and this is probably for, true for all of us, we often don't do certain things because we're afraid if we do them or not do them as well as we think they should be done, uh, that we're afraid what others might say or think. Isn't that true? Well, I mean, if I do that, I wonder what they're going to think about me. You know what he's really saying in this passage? He says, you need to think of yourself like you ought to think about yourself. And then he says you shouldn't overestimate yourself. And it really that overestimate there really says you shouldn't overthink about yourself. You know, if, if we really understand what's going on, when we're afraid about what other people are thinking about us, we ought to realize they're not thinking about us at all. The only person thinking about us is ourselves. And, and we ought to get off that. Most people don't care that much about us. Yet we care about ourselves. And don't overthink about yourself. Our problem, and, and this is the whole idea here, is that, is that we're absorbed, we're self-absorbed. And we're overly self-absorbed. And, and so don't worry about what others think. Just worry about what God thinks. Just look at yourself, however you're wired. Don't worry about what other people think. And just do what you think God wants you to do. And then it goes on in our passage in Romans. Serving is fueled by growth and being renewed in God's word. Romans 12, 2, a familiar passage is this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This growth component in terms of serving God is, is essential. Because when you're serving, when you're giving out, the whole passion of God is that it be sustained, that it's sustainable, that you, that you don't do well for a day or a two but for a season, for a lifetime. I think it was on Sunday where they talked about service is not simply an event, but it's a lifestyle. But, but what do you do when you, you feel like you don't have anything left? Well, when you don't have anything left, you've got to put something in the tank. Isn't that right? Now, I, I, I'm kind of ashamed to, to admit this, but, uh, 
you know, I'm one of those people who have been in a vehicle, driving the vehicle, and, you know, past gas stations, and thinking, well, I can go a little bit further, and um, it used to improve my prayer life. I'd pray, God, just get me, just get me, I'll never do this again, just get me to this next gas station, and maybe God actually answered a few of those prayers, but actually God got kind of tired of answering those prayers, and, you know, I've run out of gas a number of times, and, you know, and when the tank is empty, you don't what? You don't move. I mean, you are stuck. You're dead in your tracks, and you gotta you gotta go to a place, and you gotta if you don't have a one of those red plastic cans in your car, you gotta go buy one which you never use again, and you gotta fill it and you put it in your tank, and you gotta get to the gas station and refill completely. Well, if that's true for a car that runs out of a little bit of petrol, that that is so true about us when we don't have the Word of God living in our hearts, and it doesn't matter how much you have known about God's Word. You've got to keep refueling. You know, I've had the privilege of, of, of studying God's Word professionally over many years now and have had opportunity to, to, to be trained in an academic level as well. But if I were to simply rest there and didn't keep feeding on God's Word, my tank would run empty. You never want to stop growing in your faith. And if it's, if it's not a new truth, it's a new truth seen in a brighter, clearer way. Never stop growing in God's Word because that's how we continue to serve. And then the last one, natural abilities. And I just use an example from the, the, the life of the Apostle Paul. Serving uses your natural abilities as a vehicle for your spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18, there, there's mention there that he uh, went to a community and he decided to, he would be with some of his friends, and they began doing what he was talented to do, which is to, to make tents. And essentially, right after he was making tents, it said he went to the synagogue, and he, he taught in the synagogue. And my guess is that he had some of his friends that he had either made a tent for or had made tents with, or they learned about his tent-making ability. They go, oh, I want to hear that guy who makes tents. Maybe he has something to say in the synagogue today. See, God uses everything, our desires, our experiences, our spiritual gifts, our individual personalities. As we grow, we have things to share with others and our natural abilities to, to make a difference in people's lives. But for that to happen, we've got to make ourselves available to serve. On this weekend in which we remember those who anteed up to serve our country, and it's a model for us to ante up to to serve our king. Uh, I want to share this, this, this story about what I would say one of the most unlikely soldiers that gave her life for our country's freedom. The excerpt reads like this. You are loved and you are greatly missed. During a deployment to Iraq as part of the Marines Lioness Program, Corporal Jennifer M. Parcell was killed by a female student, uh, excuse me, a female suicide bomber at a checkpoint in Anbar province on February 7th, 2007. She, uh, three weeks later, would have been returning to Okinawa, Japan, and being released from that service. Her Marine superior wrote this concerning a Jennifer. She didn't cast an imposing shadow at about 115 pounds and 5 foot 4. But she was every bit that hard-nosed Marine that you hear about. 
I can remember when I first laid hands on Jennifer, I remarked to one of the colleagues, is this bring your little sister to work day? Can you imagine that in a Marine Corps, uh, someone five foot four, 115 pounds? She barely looked old enough to have enlisted. You know, check her ID. However, I was to find out she was tough and had the ability to raise the performance of the Marines or whomever she was around. She didn't back away from a challenge and didn't complain when things didn't go exactly as planned. Whenever she heard her fellow Marines complaining, she would often admonish these guys by saying, you guys sound like a bunch of little girls. Suck it up. You know, here was a little girl, five foot four, 115 pounds, who was willing to put her life on the line in the service of her country. In places that we uh, would find a hardship just being there. But she was willing to step up to do what she could do because she saw the bigger picture. Whenever we serve Christ with a cup of cold water, with a friendly word, with taking a responsibility, with being faithful to what God wants us to do and be, then we will be called by God good and faithful servants. And in the end time, God will say, enter into that place I prepared for you. Let's pray. Paul, it's a challenge for us to, to, uh, to be faithful in serving the one who has served us. And of course, for that to happen, there needs to be a relationship. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, we just invite them to just embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to invite them to come in and forgive them of their sins and make them a new person on the inside. And Father, for us, help us, help us just to look for ways to be a blessing to others. In the church and in the community, help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us to be that statue of Jesus that shows that I'm the one that is, I'm the one volunteering to step forth to represent you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our time together.